Hey everyone, welcome to Infuse Church Online. My name is Taylor and I'm one of the pastors here. Today we have a special one-part message leading us up to Easter next Sunday. Now if you're in the Tiffin area, or Iowa City area for that matter, we hope that you will come out uh, and join us maybe for our Easter egg hunt on April 20th at the Tiffin Soccer Fields. Or certainly be here on Sunday, April 21st for our Easter services at 8.30 and 10.30. But today we're going to be talking about um, the differences we have when it comes to being focused and seeing things. Because sometimes we can be so focused on one thing that we miss everything else going on in the world. Or specifically in this story of Jesus entering Jerusalem the week of Passovers and the week that he will be crucified and how we can see that story through different lenses. So stick around to find out how that applies to our life. As we begin this, this uh, one, one part series, a special series called, or um, sermon message called uh, The Final Days, um, I, I thought uh, it introduced us really well to a paradox um, or a bit of a paradox that you and I live out pretty much every day of our lives uh, as well as we see other people live out uh, pretty much every day of our lives. And that paradox is this, that we can be so focused, so focused on something that we can't actually see. Right? Isn't that interesting that you can be so focused, mentally engaged with, your eyes are focused into your phone, and you completely miss the wall right in front of you. Isn't that interesting? Or perhaps um, it's a little bit of a bigger uh, picture than that. Perhaps you're so focused on your work, or you're so focused on finding work that effectively you miss the people, um, perhaps the closest people to you um, that are around you, your family members and relationships get strained, those kinds of situations that you're so focused that you miss the people who are the closest to you. Or perhaps um, you are so focused on your personal agenda or perhaps uh, you're really involved in politics these days. You're so focused, at the very least you've seen this play out, where you're so focused on the politics of something that you really are incapable of seeing the whole picture or certainly the other side of the picture. That even though we are seen intently looking at something, we really can't see and we miss everything else. Because truly, at the end of the day, it's our focus that determines what we see. It's our focus on something that determines what we see. And if you are someone who doesn't have the best of eyesight, you have glasses, you know what this is like, right? You take those glasses off, you can see things, objects, but you can't really make out what they are until you have something that allows you to be able to focus in, and then you can make it out and determine what it actually is. Our sight is limited by where we determine our focus to be. If your focus is bigger, guess what? you see a bigger picture. If your focus is narrow, you see a more narrow picture. And so all of that essentially is back uh, backstory or um, the tool by which we are going to read through a story. Do something a little bit different today. I'm going to read a story to you, and for some of you it's a familiar story. I'm going to read a story to you, and what I hope that you will do as I read this story is you will imagine, at least in your mind's eye, you will put yourself into the story and watch this event that I'm going to read narrate for you take place. And then as you do, I would ask that you pay attention to how you feel and what you experience when you 
uh, watch this play out. And, I, and I'm going to use pictures and stuff to kind of help put this into context so you can imagine it in your mind. Um, but this is really important for where we're going to go today and specifically for where we're going to go over the next um, seven days approximately through Easter. And so for some of you uh, to be able to focus, I realize it may take a little bit of meditation or, or something for you to kind of shuffle out the rest of your life, um, the to-do list that you have to get to after church, uh, the things you've got to take care of for your kids after church, or what you have going this week, or what you had happen to you this week. But I just ask that you would kind of put that aside and now focus in as I read through this story in your mind's eye to see what you see and to feel what you feel, and then we're going to talk about it at the end of that, all right? So now uh, the story begins uh, about uh, just shy of 2,000 years ago, and it begins with a man named Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus is finishing a stop in uh, the city of Jericho right here on this wonderful map, the city of Jericho. In fact, you can go to Jericho today. It, it honestly looks like just a bunch of sand dunes um, because it is fairly desert in, in Jericho. Um, but he just finished up a very infamous meeting. If you grew up in church, you're familiar with this meeting between Jesus and a wee little man named Zacchaeus. And Jesus is finishing up this spot, uh, the stop in Jer uh, Jericho, and he's about to begin his final road, his final journey to this right here, Jerusalem, and to begin the Passover festival, or as Christians know it, the time when Jesus will be tried, convicted, and crucified. And so Jesus is about to set out from Jericho on this windy road all the way up to the city of Jerusalem. And at this point in the story of Jesus of Nazareth, he is kind of a big deal. In fact, he has acquired quite a significant following for a number of reasons. His teachings are undeniably in, uh, incredible. People consider him to be a master teacher. People weep at his stories, are convicted by his teaching, and lives are being changed. And some people have even been so fortunate to experience or see these things called miracles that cannot be defined by common understanding, but bring people back to life and, and heal the sick and the wounded. And then, in addition to that, there are some rumblings throughout uh, the, the people of Israel at the time that perhaps, just perhaps, this Jesus of Nazareth, in all his incredible teaching and, and preaching and, and miracles, that perhaps he is what was known as the Messiah in Hebrew, or in Greek, the Christ. He was the chosen one. Essentially, uh, for the last about thousand years, prophets had come along over the centuries and foretold of this coming Messiah, this coming chosen one from God, who would essentially save the people, deliver the people, though there was some disagreement of what he was going to deliver them from. But perhaps this Jesus was he. And he was on his way to the city of David, the most important city to the Jewish people and certainly in that province of the Roman Empire at the time, the city of Jerusalem. And so people were expecting something big. And so he had amassed a large crowd that was following him to Jerusalem. Now, that all depends, though, on how you see the story. Because for some of you, maybe that is the story that you grew up with, that you believe in, or for some of you, you're not sure if that's the story you believe in, or the Jesus that you believe in. Regardless, keep imagining with me. Now, before he gets to Jerusalem, he has to cross over this mount 
as it's called, the Mount of Olives, which is a very famous place in the city of Jerusalem. He is on the backside of this, essentially over in Jericho, making his way up, and he is about to cross over. Before he does, he asks his disciples, one of his, a couple of his 12 disciples, to go ahead of him to a city of Bethany and get him a colt. Not a horse, but a colt. For him to ride into the city of Jerusalem on in this processional way. And so they do. And before he um, gets there, the gospel writer Matthew um, narrates the story. Before he's about to crest over the top of this mountain in full view of, of the city of Jerusalem, um, people, a large crowd in fact, a large crowd had assembled and began to spread their cloaks, their cloaks or their coats, on the road in front of Jesus, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Or as uh, the, the Apostle John writes in his gospel, palm branches. And there weren't any palm branches um, in Jerusalem, especially at that season of time in the spring. There weren't palm branches yet. But certainly there were in Jericho. So essentially John is saying that some people who were, had even been following him since Jericho, this large crowd had been with him, and they're bringing these, these palm branches with them. And so um, all, under all of your seats, hopefully there are, um, if you would, just for um, old time's sake, maybe you grew up in church. Oh, wow, you already know what to do. Holy cow, I didn't even tell you. It's just like telepathic. I'm just going to send you the rest of my message and we're just going to wrap up, okay? Okay, yeah, you got your palm branches. Okay, now, whether you like the palm branches or not, you believe in Jesus or not, I just think it'd be fun, uh, especially if you grew up in church and you had Palm Sunday, okay, and then you got to wave these palms around, okay, and fantastic. So let's wave them around. That's excellent, excellent. Okay, this is what your kids do down in kids, by the way. And we're just doing them too. Okay, excellent. They're going to get some, I think, too today, so you can do this on your drive home. Okay, so set these down for just a second. So they have palms, and the people are taking these branches, these palms, these cloaks, and they're putting them on the, uh, the ground, the, the road in front of Jesus. And this is a way of paying homage to Jesus, saying essentially that, Jesus, you are greater than even the cloak on my back. I would be honored if your colt on which you sit uh, touches or walks over my cloak or the branches that I place down on the ground. Now the story in Luke chapter 19 continues. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples. See, we're familiar with 12 disciples. We think only 12 people followed Jesus. There's actually quite a few. Maybe you're familiar with some of the biblical stories uh, or the Gospels, and it talks about 72. There were 72 sent out. Well, that's more than 12 if, if, you, if you know math very well. Um, and so there were multitudes of people who followed Jesus. However, there were three that were exceptionally close to Jesus, 12 that were his closest, and then there was a multitude of other people, Luke said. And so essentially, if you can imagine that picture of the mountain again, this mount, there's a crowd of people now beginning to flush over the top of the mountain. It almost looks like a wave, a parade of people, or perhaps a protest, depending on how you want to look at it, of people flowing over the top of, a mount, of the mountain. And now they're in full view of the city of Jerusalem. And I got a picture of a model of the city of Jerusalem in the days of Jesus. Uh, I thought this was just like, this is a real life model. I took a picture of it um, last week so I could bring it along and I'm going to use it like all the time because it's so great. Essentially, this is the view from the Mount of Olives. So now everybody in Jerusalem is looking up at the Mount of Olives and seeing this flow of people coming over. And the people as they come over are now looking down at the Jewish temple, the holy of holy places in, in uh, Jewish theology where the presence of God actually resides. And Jesus is walking down into the Temple Mount. This is, temple was built by Herod, um, Herod the Great, or at least commissioned uh, by Herod 
the great. Now, some people in this city would have looked up and wondered if Rome had sent a legion or something, because Rome would often enter in dramatic fashion into cities. Um, but uh, they would probably quickly realize that um, the, the things that they saw that people were holding were not spears, they were palm branches. And the leader of these people, the, people, the, the leader of, uh, that people were following, was not riding a horse or a powerful mount, he was riding a colt. And so maybe quickly they would have just sloughed it off as a crazy group of fanaticals or somebody rolling down into the city of Jerusalem. Now for those few in the city who didn't see this mass of people coming over the hill, they certainly heard it because Luke tells us in verse 37 that the people began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds and the power that they had seen in this person, Jesus. And you could hear them saying, and they recited um, a psalm, quoting a, a psalm in the book of Psalms, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Essentially, this is the Messiah. This is the King. And he, this moment is so profound, so significant, that it brings peace to heaven. And glory to the highest of heaven, essentially where God is. This moment is bringing glory to God. Imagine that. Wouldn't that be quite a sight to behold? Or maybe for some of you, not so much. I'm not sure. So here's the question. As I told that story, what did you see? What did you see? What did you feel as I shared that? Did you see Jesus, your Savior, declaring himself as Messiah, Christ, riding into the cross to die for your and my sin, to save the world? Or did you see something else? Did you feel something else? Did you feel triumph and excitement? Or was your focus more on something else or another feeling? Or maybe no feeling at all? How did that story make you feel? For some of you, I, I'm, I'm guessing, today, and maybe it's just the day of the week, or maybe I just did a poor job of telling the story, I don't know, but your focus during my telling of that story, you kind of focused on a sense, or maybe not so much of a focus, but you just had a sense of insignificance. That's cool. That would be a powerful moment to behold, but not really significant for me, that, that it really wasn't exciting. It was fairly uneventful, at least emotionally, for you. Again, interesting to see, but not that exciting. Or perhaps for some of you, it was just another Sunday school story, one that you remember from old, but really didn't excite you or engage you that much. Had you been there 2,000 years ago, if that was you, you certainly would not have been alone. Because there was a group of people, had they looked at this moment of Jesus coming over the Mount of Olives, they too would have felt a great deal of nothing. That this moment was fairly insignificant. That it was kind of uneventful. And that group of people specifically are known as the Romans, the occupiers, the people who controlled Judea, the province of Judea, and pretty much the modern state of Israel at the time. This was rather insignificant for the Romans because for the Romans, they had things going on. 
They were the largest empire in the world. They had immense power. So why would one man riding a colt with a bunch of people waving some palm branches look like anything other than just straight up kind of crazy and kooky? In this backwater province of the Roman Empire, here's a dude on a colt riding into town. Perhaps some of them would even have laughed. Now, I think their view might differ a little bit in a 21st century view, but our focus, perhaps, your focus, as I told that story, may have came across a little bit like this, that your demands of your life, your schedule, the things that you have to do constantly override any sense of faith or discovery on the part of God or, or Jesus. That perhaps for some of you, you're, you're so consumed in this season of life, maybe you're running a family, and your family feels like you're running an empire. It's just that big. Like, to get here to church this morning takes moving mountains. I mean, it feels like running an empire. And so the idea of spending any significant time contemplating if this is the Messiah, if this really is Jesus, and why is he riding a colt, and why are they waving palm branches, just isn't that exciting. For some of you, it is exciting in this moment, but in 24 hours from now, you will be engaged in Monday work. You'll be engaged in your responsibilities, your employees, your tasks that you need to get done. I mean, I, I would just wonder how many of you do think about the fact that we are about to celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, this week. That at the end of the day, Jesus fits well into Sunday morning sometime between the hours of 10.30 and like 11.45. But outside of that, perhaps it feels a little insignificant and uneventful. And just another interesting Sunday school story. And if that's you, and if that's how you focus in on this story, or will focus on the story this week, I would invite you to actually take a, a page from a guy, uh, the book of a guy named Pontius Pilate. And you probably have never heard a pastor say that for that matter, um, but today I am, because I think Pontius Pilate had a unique approach to Jesus. Because the truth is, sooner or later in your and my life, and it's probably already happened a couple times, you come face to face with God or the idea of God or Jesus. Maybe it's at a funeral when you're contemplating the end of life. Maybe it's as you are in a difficult season of life where you're struggling with your purpose and your identity and you wonder if God actually exists and if he plays a role in your life. Or maybe for some of you, you you're at the, that season of life where you're raising kids and, and you're realizing that it would be important to teach them good values, and so now perhaps you would like God to be a part of your and their life. But at some point, we contemplate, maybe late at night, we contemplate the existence of Jesus, and we wonder, is that really the Messiah coming over that hilltop? See, when Pontius Pilate was confronted with Jesus— he could have just kind of dashed it away as something insignificant. He, was, he didn't even like being in Jerusalem for that matter, yet he had to be for, for Passover because so many people, the city grew by like ten times the normal size, and so there was risk of unrest, so he would bring the, the Roman guard in to keep the peace and all this. He didn't even want to be there. But the unique thing about Pilate is he didn't just wipe it away. He didn't just say, whatever. See, Pilate pushed back. 
when the Jewish leaders brought Jesus to his feet, as sometimes Jesus kind of finds his way into our life and we contemplate whether or not Jesus is significant or not, Pontius Pilate didn't just push it away. He engaged with, he asked questions, he pushed back against the Jewish leaders. And sometimes I think we could benefit ourselves from pushing back. You see, Rome didn't become the greatest empire in the world at the time by not pushing back, by not asking questions. And I think, especially for Infuse and our culture here, is that we believe we're a church for imperfect people to explore faith. And we really mean that, that that it's not something that you're guilted or shamed into, but it's something that you can explore in a safe place, hopefully where we can have authentic and real conversation about the existence or reality of God or Jesus. But you and I will never get there. You and I will never get there if we don't push and we don't ask questions and we don't wonder what the story really is about. In fact, it's really interesting in a little-known verse in, the, in Matthew, Pilate's wife enters into the story for this brief moment to go to Pilate and say, I really don't think you should harm this man, Jesus. A really just interesting verse that really could have been left out and probably wouldn't have changed the story, but even Pilate's wife pushed against what was happening and wondered at really who Jesus was. Perhaps you could focus like Pilate. For others of us, um, your focus looked a little bit more like feeling threatened. And that's a dramatic word, but essentially, as I read the story of Jesus coming over the mountain, people waving branches, okay, you get a little defensive. There's a part of your heart that kind of walls up a little bit. Or perhaps you actually go on the offense and you start poking holes in my story. And I know that you probably do that or some of you do that because that's what I did the few times that I went to church as an agnostic. I'd just sit here and try to poke holes in the pastor's story. That's cool. I get it. But the idea of Jesus, Messiah, God, threatens you a little bit. Especially this idea of a parade in his honor. This moment in this triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem, as Christians call it. But I get it. Now, I don't want you to get confused. This word also is easily replaced with angry. When we feel threatened, sometimes we respond with anger. So if by any chance, when we talk about Jesus or God, and you get a little defensive and anger starts to come up, or perhaps you have a conversation with someone, or perhaps you'll have a conversation later with your spouse about this message, and anger starts to come up, I would just ask you to wonder why you feel threatened. You're not alone in that by any extent, because the Jewish leaders at the time, they felt threatened. In fact, they felt so threatened. Their beliefs, their, their life, how they prioritize their time and their money, and their plans, and their desires, and their goals— all felt threatened by Jesus. It's kind of like, um, I kind of I think of the Jewish leaders of the Pharisees as the guy texting when the bear is coming. Doesn't really see it coming, and then when it's right there, they have a choice, and they feel so threatened, they run away, they try to escape. And in this case, the Jewish leaders try to escape by just having Jesus executed. Because if Jesus was the Messiah, if Jesus really was the Savior, and they saw him coming into town, they should bow. They too should take off their cloaks. But their hearts didn't want that. Their hearts got defensive and actually a little bit offensive 
In fact, Luke documents them saying this. This is literally what they responded. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, order your disciples to what? Stop. Stop. Notice this word right here, teacher. They didn't call him Lord. They called him teacher. Which I remember as an agnostic, this is often a a conversation or as an atheist, most people agree that Jesus was a great teacher, taught great values. But he isn't Lord. And he isn't Messiah. And I think that's kind of a little bit convenient because on one hand, we agree that he was a great teacher and taught great values. I mean, who's going to argue with love God or love your neighbor? Maybe you argue with love God, but love your neighbor as yourself, but teacher. Because if by chance Jesus really is the Son of God, truly walking to his own crucifixion by choice, that may change things for our lives. It may threaten our plans a little bit. I don't think it will hurt our plans but it may threaten them. And Jesus responds to the Pharisees. He says, um, he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, if the people were silent, then the stones would shout out. In other words, this is such a natural response. This is a right response to me for them to be cheering. And if they don't cheer, even stones will then have to cheer because I really am the Son of God. Now, I don't want to guilt you or pressure you. I really don't mean to, but I just want to ask you, is this perhaps your focus? To perhaps check your focus and say, are there points in my life, maybe not every day, maybe this is not you all the time, but you push back against Jesus because it doesn't fit your agenda. It doesn't fit your budget. Oh, I got to give money to Jesus or to God and his church? I, that, that makes me uncomfortable. That doesn't fit my agenda, my plan. I have to take time out. I have to pray. I got things to do. Got calls to make, people to see, families to raise. And not that any of those things are unimportant. It's just, are we making room or are we pushing back? See, Jesus isn't trying to mess with you. I think I always got that wrong as I explored faith. I thought I was being threatened, that Jesus was going to come in and totally transform my life and I was going to have to sacrifice everything and live a life of poverty and all this stuff. Jesus isn't trying to mess with you. He's just inviting you into a more perfect focus to see the world and your life as God intended it to be, a life of freedom, and a life of peace. Jesus, he's not trying to give you these big corrective lenses that are a burden to you, that make it difficult for you, that embarrass you. He's just trying to give you like new sight altogether. I want to read one more verse, and I just want you to think to yourself, is this sound like someone who's trying to threaten you? As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept. The second time in the whole, whole gospel that uh, Jesus wept. He wept over it and said, why did he weep? Because if you, the city, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. So threatening. I want to bring you peace. I want to bring you peace. But now, 
it's hidden. See, you've made the decision to focus elsewhere. You're so engrossed in that thing or that agenda or whatever it is that you can't see with your eyes. And what does Jesus do? He weeps over it because he cares so deeply that sometimes we're so blind because we're so focused. Now, there's one last group that I want to talk to, and that's the group of us, and this is the group that I would probably consider myself in at this point in my life, and that is the group that is actually focused on Jesus. And I think that is best represented by a man named Peter, because Peter was certainly in the crowd at that time. In fact, Peter was no doubt exceptionally close to Jesus following him down the mountain. And like Peter, and like Peter, we celebrate. And like Peter, we wave our palm branches. We get excited. When I told that story, it was invigorating for you. Maybe it was exciting for you. You were kind of on the edge of your seat like, wow, that would have been so cool to be there and to celebrate and to cheer the coming of Jesus. In that moment, this triumphant moment, waving that palm and celebrating. But the thing that some of you know about Peter is that seven days later, Peter is not waving a palm branch. Peter is not excited. Peter is broken. Because Peter focused on Jesus. But when it came to it, when, when a, a small girl next to a fire asked him if he knew Jesus, he denied Jesus again and again and again. Even though Peter had said to Jesus directly, I will give my life for you, Jesus. A few hours later, Peter reneges, backs away. In Jesus' moment of greatest need, when I'm sure Jesus could have used a friendly person standing up for him, even if it meant giving their lives for him, Peter walked away. Peter walked away. See, some of us, we talk a great talk. In fact, some of us even walk the walk. But when it comes down to it, there's a part of us that wonder if our focus isn't more like Jesus? With a question mark? That there are times when we doubt, when we have insecurities, when we're constantly wondering if we're good enough, if we really deserve to be a follower of Jesus, if we really are a follower of Jesus, we question, we have, have bouts um, with uh, confidence or a lack thereof. Personally, I wonder for myself that when Jesus said, go and make disciples, and, and God worked in my heart and said, Taylor, I, I want you to, to not only follow my son Jesus, but I want you to become a pastor, and then eventually, hey, let's go start churches, which um, was just such a crazy thing, and, but you know, yay, yes, Jesus, I'll wave my palm branch, let's, let's get to it. I, I can't help but wonder if I even get it right, that, that I personally don't have doubts about my decisions we even do church Sunday mornings the right way. I, I personally wonder if when Jesus said, hey, Taylor, go out and make disciples, that he had, had in mind like skinny pants, boots, and wavy hair, which is kind of like the half-to pastoral look these days. 
or that when Jesus said, go and reach people and love people, that he had in mind a 32-inch Samsung TV that will, you know, rolled around and then highlight words and like, this is discipleship making. I don't know. Maybe this isn't what he had in mind. Maybe I don't do a good job following Jesus. And I got to think that if I'm supposed to be the pastor, right, the leader, struggle, there's some of you out there too that feel just like Peter and struggle if you're good enough. And struggle that if you are confronted with this moment where Jesus is about to be crucified and somebody asks you if you know Jesus and it could cost you everything, you too would struggle to say, yes, I follow Jesus. And you're left with a little bit of a question mark. And your focus kind of wavers between this and 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 this. this. But the thing that I hope you will not lose sight of, and the thing that for me gives me confidence, is Jesus didn't come to condemn. Jesus came to save. And I really hope that you will be here two weeks from now because we're going to talk about this interaction between Jesus and Peter as we start this new series. But that we would remember that he isn't here to shame us. He didn't come and he didn't say, follow me, so we would feel bad. He came so that we would know the love of God, experience freedom from sin and our burdens, and find peace, as he just said. That we could move to a place where we don't have to have a question mark anymore. That we could just focus on Jesus. I don't know um, if you remember, um, there's a really famous Rudolph the Red-Nosed Christmas um, series, and one of the songs is, um, put one foot in front of the other, put one foot in front of the other. Sometimes I think that's where we have to go, that we would not only remember the confidence that Jesus is not here to shame us, and when he says follow, he means that because he loves us. But that sometimes the best way to follow is to just stay focused and take one step after another. Don't worry about the big leaps. Sometimes we think we have to take a leap of like 10 steps. But instead, we would just worry about taking one step at a time, one foot in front of the other. And it's interesting because from Jesus' resurrection on, from Jesus and Peter's interaction on the beach, that's what Peter does. And in so doing, Jesus, or Peter, excuse me, through Jesus, changes the world. So where do you fit in? Perhaps some of you say, well, somewhere in between, maybe I'm not sure yet. But I, I just would ask you, especially as we enter this, this um, Easter next, next uh, Sunday, that, that you would consider, do, do you see? You would consider, if you see yourself, as someone who looks at Jesus with confidence and celebration. I mean, this is as good a time as any, Easter, I think. Do you see someone worth pushing back against the distractions of life? Pushing back against the doubts? 
that you would be even able, even able to put your phone down once in a while because he's worth it. That you wouldn't need to get angry because there's no reason to be. Jesus is not there to threaten you. He's there to invite you. That even though following could be difficult, do you see someone where you could just put one step in front of the other and follow? One step in front of another. Do you see someone, not something, but do you see someone worth waving a palm branch for? And if your answer is no, why not? If your answer is, I'm not sure, why not? Ask, explore. You may just be surprised at what you find. And if it is yes, where's your focus? If your answer is yes, I see someone worth waving a palm branch for, is your focus more on the question mark and the doubts of your life and my life? Because we have reason to have many. Or is it more on Jesus? My hope is that you you just take this home with you and maybe leave it on the counter and eventually you'll have to throw it away. But at least it should last a week through Easter. And this week, you would just be reminded of this question. Do you see someone in your life, as you picture this scene of people coming over the mountaintop, of waving a palm branch for? Because it isn't just a question for today, it is a question for Easter, for this week. And I hope if you come to our Tenebrae Good Friday service, you will ask this question. And when you come next Sunday for Easter, I hope you would ask this question because it's an important one. Now, I want to leave you with this. If you find yourself resonating with the Romans, just know that 250 years later, Jesus conquers the Roman Empire, and it becomes Christian. Through a single commandment, or two in one, to love God and love your neighbor. Takes over the Roman Empire. Takes over the Roman Empire. And for the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees, one of which was probably a guy named Saul of Tarsus who doubted Jesus, who pushed back against Jesus. Jesus changed their lives. And you can read that through all of Paul's letters in the New Testament. And for those of the Jews who continued to resist, eventually in 70 AD, the temple that you saw in that beautiful image, that temple and the whole mount was destroyed. Never again would sacrificial, would the Jewish worship and sacrifice happen on that temple mount to this day? And that you would be left remembering that you could follow this Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, who came to love you and care for you, who came to save you and the world. Do you see someone worth waving this palm branch for. If you would, bow your heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, my prayer um, for all of us this morning, and I would invite all of us to pray this prayer if we're comfortable. Lord, that you would help us, encourage us, invite us, help us to, in some cases, surrender to, to become followers of, to trust in, We would just trust in, Lord, help me to trust in
you. And trust that your son, Jesus, walked down that mountain slope because he loved us. He wept because he wished for us peace. To, that, Lord, you would help remove, that, that we would pray, not just now, but for this whole week especially, that we would just pray that our focus would be right on you. And we wouldn't be distracted, and we wouldn't miss the rest of everything you're trying to show us because we're too focused in some other area. Lord, help us to ask the dis- difficult question for some of us, or the celebration question for some of us. Is Jesus someone worth waving a palm branch for? Lord, give us the strength and the wisdom, whatever we need, the people, the church community that we need to ask these questions and to become better followers of your son, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.